Mike, do you believe in luck? Sure I do. I'm not sure I do, but sometimes, it sure seems to me at least, like something larger than us is at play in the universe. And our topic today will definitely provide some food for thought. So we are going to Texas City, Texas, a city of 45,000 people nestled on the Gulf of Mexico. As well as being humorously named, Texas City has a long history of heavy industry and is the eighth largest port in the United States. That background has led to two disasters that have left their mark on the Texan city of Texas City. Look, we have to just talk about the name. Like, what is this? (laughs) No time, Mike. We have to travel back to April 1947 to witness one of the largest non-nuclear explosions ever recorded. (laughs) Well, okay. Uh, On the morning of the 16th of April 1947, a fire broke out on the French-registered vessel, the SS Grand Camp. Fires on ships are never really a good thing, but this one turned especially deadly as the Grand Camp's cargo was stuffed full of 2,200 tons of ammonium nitrate. Now, Mike, I know that you and I are obviously familiar with what this is, but for those in the audience who may not be familiar with ammonium nitrate, it is a component of explosive mixtures used in things like mining, quarrying, and even civil construction. This particular batch was manufactured in Nebraska and Iowa and shipped to Texas City by rail before being loaded onto the Grand Camp. I feel like I recall the Mythbusters using ammonium nitrate. Uh, Probably. But anyway, longshoremen working aboard the Grand Camp had, in fact, already reported that the bags were warm to the touch prior (laughs) to loading. I don't know how anyone thought this was going to turn out very well. The fire aboard the Grand Camp was first spotted around 8 o'clock in the morning. After a couple of failed attempts to extinguish it, the captain ordered his men to steam the hold. Now, this is a firefighting method where steam is piped in to extinguish fires, uh, and the hope was to preserve the cargo. There's something about that phrase that I really like, the idea of shouting it, steam the hold! Like, I really like that. That feels good to say. You should just uh, adopt that in everyday life. When I'm going in for a shower... It's time to steam the hold. Anyway, this was unlikely to be effective as a method as ammonium nitrate produces its own oxygen, thus neutralizing the extinguishing properties of steam. In fact, the steam may have actually made things worse because it blew the hatches open and then yellow smoke began to pour out of the ship, much to the shock of the crowds that had gathered on the shore. At 9.12 a.m., so just a little over an hour from the time the fire was first spotted, the ammonium nitrate on board exploded, causing great destruction and damage throughout the port. The explosion blew almost all of the ship's structural steel into the air, some pieces at supersonic speed. This blast alone leveled nearly 1,000 buildings on land. The Grand Camp explosion destroyed the Monsanto Chemical Company plant and resulted in the ignition of refineries and chemical tanks on the waterfront. And what's more, falling bales of burning twine from the ship's cargo added to the increasing damage. Two sightseeing airplanes flying nearby, and I I checked this, this is true, had their wings shorn off by flying debris. Ten miles away, people in the town of Galveston were knocked to the ground, and the shock was felt through the earth some 250 miles away. The debris caused a fire on a nearby cargo ship named the High Flyer. In its hold was, you guessed it, even more ammonium nitrate. Oh no. (laughs) Which detonated several hours after the initial explosion. This blast then destroyed several more ships and led to more fires throughout Texas City. 
In fact, one of the propellers on the High Flyer was blown off and subsequently found nearly a mile inland. It is now part of a memorial park and sits near the anchor of the Grand Camp. The propeller is cracked in several places and one blade has a large piece missing. Official casualty estimates came to a total of 567, including all of the crewmen who remained aboard the Grand Camp. All but one member of the 28-man Texas City Volunteer Fire Department were killed in the initial explosion on the docks while fighting the shipboard fire. Of the dead, 405 were identified and 63 have never been ID'd. These were placed in a memorial cemetery in the north part of Texas City near Moses Lake. An additional 113 people were classified as missing for no identifiable parts were ever found. More than 5,000 people were injured, with 1,784 admitted to 21 area hospitals. More than 500 homes were destroyed and hundreds more damaged, leaving 2,000 people homeless. As you can imagine, the seaport was destroyed and many businesses surrounding it were just completely flattened or burned to the ground. Over 1,100 vehicles were damaged and 362 freight cars were obliterated. The property damage was estimated over $1 billion in today's money. The country rallied to help Texas City rebuild, and one of the largest fundraising efforts for the victims of this disaster was organized by Sam Maceo, one of the two brothers who ran organized crime in Galveston at the time. (laughs) I kind of like that, you know, gangsters giving back. It's kind of pretty cool, really. Anyway, within days after the disaster, major companies that had lost facilities in the explosions announced plans to rebuild in Texas City and even expand their operations in some cases. Now, as you may imagine, many, many lawsuits were filed in the wake of the disaster. On April 13, 1950, a district court found the United States government responsible for a wide range of negligent acts in the manufacturing, packaging, and labeling of ammonium nitrate. The court went on, saying the liability was further compounded by errors in transport storage, loading, fire prevention, and fire suppression, all of which led to the explosions and the subsequent carnage. A couple of years later, in 1952, the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned this decision, and the Supreme Court agreed in 1953. This event alone would be a black eye on Texas City's heavy industry, but there is one more disaster to talk about after this break. I think it's time for us to take a little lie down for a moment please to try and get to try and like come to our senses from talking about this and what better way to do that than on a casper mattress casper make an award-winning mattress that their team of engineers spent thousands of hours to develop they developed proprietary foam that they combined with a springy comfort layer to relieve pressure whilst keeping you cool Casper sell these mattresses direct to you and have cut the cost of dealing with showrooms. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and returns of a 100-night home trial to the US, Canada, and the UK. They send you the mattress in an impossibly small box, and you actually get to sleep on it before you make your decision to keep it. If you don't love it, They'll pick it up and refund you everything. You get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com ungenius and using the code ungenius at checkout to get that $50 off. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show. 
All right, let's talk about more unfortunate destruction in Texas. The Texas City Refinery explosion occurred on March 23rd, 2005 at BP's Texas City Refinery in Texas City, Texas. There's that naming thing again. <laughs> the stars at night. Never mind. Uh, the explosion killed 15 workers, injuring more than 180 others and severely damaging the refinery. The Texas City Refinery was the second largest oil refinery in the state and the third largest in the United States on the whole, with an input capacity of 437,000 barrels in the year 2000. It was built way back in 1934, but general maintenance had been lacking for several years when the accident took place. I don't think either of us come close to understanding this process, but the part, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but the part of the refinery that exploded was the ISOM plant. We'll call it the ISOM plant for fun, which converted low-octane hydrocarbons through various chemical processes into higher-octane rating hydrocarbons that could then be blended into unleaded petrol. Now, I assume that you're all following me here. I fell asleep for a second, but I think I got it. Okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. A unit, we'll get to explosion soon, I promise. A unit <laughs> called the raffinite splitter was used to separate lighter hydrocarbon components at the top of the tower, while heavier components were recovered lower down in the splitter. So they kind of separate based on density. The splitter had been under repair, but was returned to service before the accident took place. On March 23rd, it was noted that the tanks designed to house the heavier component were nearly full. Due to a supervisor being late to work that day, this information was never spread properly and the refinery continued to run. Pressure built up in the tanks and a 20-foot geyser material shot out from the top of the splitter. A pickup truck with its engine running had been carelessly parked within 30 meters of the blowdown stack. The vapor cloud reached the vehicle and the hydrocarbon fumes were drawn directly into the air intake valve, causing the engine to race. Nearby workers frantically tried to shut down the engine without success. This is really a bizarre thing to picture. Yeah, yeah this truck just, just roaring to life. Yeah. The expanding vapor cloud forced the workers who were trying to shut down the overspeeding truck engine to retreat. The cloud continued to spread across the ISOM plant, across the pipe rack to the west, and into a trailer area unimpeded. No emergency alarm was ever sounded, and at approximately 1.20 p.m., the vapor cloud was ignited by a backfire seen from the overheating truck engine by nearby witnesses, producing a massive explosion that was heard for miles. The blast pressure wave struck nearby trailers, either completely destroying or severely damaging many of them. The force of the explosion sent debris flying instantly, killing 15 people in the vicinity and severely injuring 180 more. The pressure wave was so powerful, it blew out windows up to a three quarters of a mile away. An area estimated at 200,000 square feet of the refinery was badly burned by the subsequent fire that followed the violent explosion, damaging millions of dollars worth of equipment. Investigations were launched immediately, as you can assume. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration found 301 violations of requirements and imposed a fine of $21 million onto BP. That's, uh, that's quite, the, quite the bill. The mm. U.S. Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board, that rolls right off the tongue, issued a recommendation to develop guidelines for understanding, recognizing, and dealing with fatigue during shift work as this was thought to be a factor. So, I don't know about you, Mike. I'm not sure that I want to go to Texas City, Texas. Even though the name is so appealing? <laughs> it is appealing. Thank you to listener Jeffrey for this week's topic. Uh, he recommended it a while back, and as soon as I read the first uh, the first page, I knew we had to cover it. 
If you want to learn more about Texas City, Texas and its tales of woe, there'll be links in the show notes. This week you can find them at relay.fm slash ungenius slash 26. Thank you so much to Casper for sponsoring this week. And until our next weird article, Mike, say goodbye. Goodbye, ungenious listeners of Ungenious. Adios.